If you were here for the first service, you know I got a little spicy, passed on some indignation, so I think it'll be a little bit different second go around. Well, we'll see how the Lord leads. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, ask Him to lead us this morning in the Word. Father, we thank You and we praise You in advance for the work that You're doing in us, that You're doing through Paul and his relationship with the Corinthians and how you spoke to your church. And I pray that we would learn this morning what attributes are in pastors and leaders, those that are called after you and, and those that are not, Lord, those that are wolves in sheep clothing. Help us to be discerning. Help us to use these words that you have for all time and eternity, Lord, and apply them to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago before resurrection, Sunday, we saw that Paul was upset because he thought it was silly. He thought it was ridiculous that he had to boast in himself and make a defense to the Corinthians. And we saw that his number one goal was to present the Corinthians, the the church in Corinth, to the Lord, to the groom in purity. And then we saw him get really upset when he called out the, the super holy apostles, if you remember that these wolves in sheep's clothing, he said that they were ministers of Satan. That there is no harsher language than you can say than to say that those that are claiming to be Christians are actually on Satan's side leading people to hell. And so he is going after them. He's telling them the truth. And he says, I'm not just writing this. I'm coming and I'm going to say it to their face. And that's where we're picking up here. But before we jump into verses 16 to 21, I want to put an image in your mind. I want to put an illustration. I want you to pretend that you have a teenage daughter. For some of you, that's not too hard. You got one. Well, let's pretend that you're a teenage daughter. At 2 o'clock in the morning, you hear a Harley Davidson coming down the road. And on that thing is a convicted felon straight out of prison in his leather jacket. That Harley comes up, and then all of a sudden you hear at the footsteps as your daughter runs out the front door and jumps on the back of that thing and drives off. How are you going to feel about that? Is anything good going to come from this? Well, that's what Paul is feeling about the Corinthians who are going off with these super apostles to give us a little feeling for his attitude and emotions as he's writing these verses in 16 through 21. Chapter 11. Verse 16, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least, receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Now, Paul is not saying that this is not from the Lord or that this is not ordained scripture. What he's saying is for him to boast in himself is not Christ-like. This is not godly attributes. And he's willing to put up with it because he needs to share with them how dumb they're being. You can't have any stronger language than say they are proverbially punching you in the face and you like it. 
You're jumping on the motorcycle with these charlatans, and all they want to do is use you, take you, and abuse you, and you like it. Stop it. Stop it. How would you feel as a father who's every day getting up 50 hours a week, driving your daughter to soccer practice and the games on Saturday morning, sacrificing everything you can to raise and to protect, to give a beautiful, bright future, only to have it jump on the back of a motorcycle for something more exciting. Nothing good can come from that. Remember, Paul says that these people are ministers of Satan, and they're in the church. You see, we're going to be looking today at qualifications for a pastor, for a real pastor. We're going to be looking for someone who has a servant's heart. And then we're going to be looking at those that are wolves in sheep clothing. And so there's a couple things we want to take away. Number one, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a pastor, teacher, an elder, or a disciple, you are to have these attributes or you may be on the wrong team. For a believer here, who are you following Who are you respecting and allowing to influence you in your life about the Scriptures? Are they there to take from you, to abuse you, to shear you, or are they there to feed into you, to protect you, and to live for you? First, you have to meet these biblical qualifications. These super holy apostles did not. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's a list of attributes for a pastor-teacher in the Greek known as as a bishop. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. It says man there, if a man. Just throw that one out there. I'll stop right there before I get in trouble. Verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. That helps not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, these last two verses are very important and apply a little bit to these ministers of Satan. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And then in verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Well, these super apostles, and again, we say that tongue-in-cheek, they're 100% driven by pride. They have been ensnared by the enemy. They are there to fleece the flock. They are not there for anyone else's benefit but for their own. Remember, they're getting paid. They're great orators. They have those great certificates and lineages. And they're saying that they are better than Paul. They're the next step. They're the professionals. And that Paul is the amateur. They have fallen into the pride and the snare of the enemy because it's only about them. And it, is, it just gets me so upset. My blood boils when I see believers in Christ that are following after so-called pastors that are only in it for the money. They're in it so that their face can be the biggest thing on the book, that their name is more important on the book than the title of the actual book, that they are glorified and not Christ. And Paul is a servant of the Lord Jesus. He's called by the Lord 
And we see, and we see that he is a follower of Jesus, so he is like Jesus. Jesus teaches us what it is to be a good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11 through 12, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He doesn't take from the sheep. But a hireling, he was not, of the, sh- not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So you have the good shepherd and you have the hireling. The hireling is the so-called pastor who's out there. He's just putting in his resume, checking what works good for him. Oh, this seems like a great place. Oh, the 401k here is not that great. You know, I'm going to go ahead and check this other place out. Oh, a little bit of trouble here. I don't really kind of like that. Oh, no parking spot, you say? I'm, you know, where God, God, God provides, you know, where he guides. I'm going to go check this out somewhere else. That, that is the hireling. The hireling exists to fleece the flock, like I've said 37 times already. They want the tithe money. They want the respect. They want to be treated at a level that they deserve. Obviously, they have a PhD. Now, that doesn't mean that someone that is a pastor of a big church is somehow a hireling and and not a good shepherd. No. We are going to be looking at qualifications, and we're going to be looking at those things to discern But Paul himself is going to share with us in verses 22 through 27 why he is different from all of them. And then hopefully we're going to have some tools that we can take home, one, to be good servants ourselves or to be discerning with those that we're listening to. Now, I want you to remember your daughter's on the back of that Harley at 2 a.m. driving off. Are you going to be calm? Oh, she'll get back when she gets back. Oh, she'll figure it out. Why? Because of love. I mean, you care about that person more than anything on this planet, and yet you're watching them take off just for a little excitement. Well, are we doing the same thing spiritually? Spiritually, are we going after itchy ears, things that entertain us, things that make us feel good, but aren't actually bringing us into a closer relationship with the Lord. Paul shares what he's been through in verses 22 through 27. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. He's just saying, this is silly that I have to talk about myself. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city in perils in wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, before we dissect this really long list of trials, I want us all to be crystal clear, Paul's life is not like a a rack of medals that we're supposed to attain to. His 
life is unique. His persecutions and trials are unique. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, the Lord is prophesying to somebody else and says this about Paul. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And boy, did he suffer. Boy, did he suffer. Before we go through those things, can we just ask why? Why did Paul go through all those things? I mean, I'm stopping at one of those things probably. Paul didn't have to go through these things. He could have been retired on the coast of the Mediterranean. He could have been living in Caesarea on the beach. Why is he going through all these things? Just for the Corinthians to go with somebody else to give their honor and their due and their tithes to other people that don't even care about them? You see, because he's a good shepherd, like Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. It's not about him. It's about them. He's not there to see how much wool he can get out. Day in and day out, he is in the weather. He is in the storm. He's with his rod and his staff. He is watching those sheep and protecting them. And we have people in this fellowship that raise animals. Ask them if they can go on a week's-long vacation. No. Ask them if they're sick, if they, if they can lay in bed and just relax. No, the animals need to be fed and taken care of every single day. And that is Paul's heart. He loves Jesus. He has the shepherd's heart. Now, let's take this even more. In labors more abundant, in stripes, in prisons, yada, yada, yada. To us, it just sounds like poetry. You know, when we get home from a long day's work, we have a tendency to overemphasize, don't we? Oh, it was terrible. Everybody was terrible. It was the worst thing ever. How did you survive? Oh my gosh, that sounds awful. <clears throat> How about that Monday morning, all your co workers come in? How was the, the weekend? Oh, it was, oh, and then they're telling you this terrible story. But with Paul, when he's listing these things, these are not exaggerations. When he says, for example, in perils of robbers, we're not talking about how in Venezuela or Colombia they ride up on a motorbike, say, give me your phone. You give them the phone and then they drive off. We're talking about being mugged in the wilderness by a gang of thieves. That's not something you just write home about. That's a life-changing thing. And that's just one thing on his list and happens multiple times. When he says in stripes above measure, when he says 40 times save one, he's talking about lashings on his back. When Paul takes his tunic off, when he takes his clothes off, he has the scars, the lifelong scars of these lashings, the same way that slaves did in the United States of America, permanently marked for the gospel. And he's doing it for them. These super apostles, these, they will never do that. They'll run at the first sign of trouble, just like Jesus said, the hireling. Oh, you know, I'm going to go to another place where they treat me better. I'm going to go to another fellowship. But the shepherd never leaves. The shepherd is after the sheep to his own detriment. And Paul is upset here about this list. But what's he upset about? 
He's not upset that he has gone through all these things. He says, it is foolish that I even have to say it. I don't want to say it. He wants no boasting in himself. And it shows us his heart. In 2 Corinthians, earlier in chapter 10, he told us, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It's because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He is living a life for Christ. He's not living a life for himself. He is willing to lay down his life for his friends because Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And again, he doesn't have to put up with it. But that's because being an apostle was not a career move for him. It's not about self-fulfillment. It's not about finding yourself or your true calling. It's not about what everyone can do for you. It's about laying down your life day after day, picking up the cross and following after Christ. That is what a servant does. That is what a disciple, a pastor teacher does. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, you know, I just, I just need to go on a sabbatical for a few months and find myself. That is not dying to yourself for the sheep. The shepherd does not go, I'm going to go on vacation so I'm better for the sheep. The shepherd is there day in and day out every single day. When he says that he shipwrecked, he's not talking about, oh, the, the motorboat died while I was out fishing on the weekend. He means the ship wrecked, people drowned, and I was stuck in the ocean for days and nights, and there's no helicopter to come get me questioning. Well, Lord, are you taking me home? And he's telling the Corinthians this, who have jumped on the motorcycle. He's saying, I do all this for Christ. This is what you should be looking for. Were these people willing to do these things? No, of course not. They're out of there if somebody else will pay more. Not Paul. Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says what John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so there are a lot of great pastors out there. Only the Lord knows their heart. I don't want to judge them. I can be hypercritical, but I do it because I care about the sheep. And when I see their books and I see, you know, their name is the name of the ministry. When I see their name, their person, they're the ones that are being promoted. I have questions because Christ should be promoted. He should be glorified. He should be first. Now, I used to be that pastor when I, early in the ministry, I remember questioning the way that Pastor Mark did things all the time. Why don't you do it like this? 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 We should do this. We should do this. You get more people if you do this, 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 this. He's so gracious. I mean, I was probably a, serving for what, two, three years, and he'd been on like his 25th year looking at me with just that gracious eyes, you know, like, we'll see, we'll see. No, I just apologized to him. Yeah, no, I get it now. I get it. I get it. You see, Paul, I told you earlier, he takes that tunic off and he sees those lashings, he sees those beatings. Some people here, you've been in the military, maybe you did those ruck marches, and now your back pays for it. Some people here, you're in the mechanical trades, you're in construction. Get scars to prove it. Where's Pete at? I know he's got a bunch. Paul has the marks of ministry all over his body, and they're questioning him if he's like a real deal. And it means nothing to him because he says, if you glory, you should glory in Christ. He's so upset that he has to be silly 
and mention these things because he is a slave for Christ and he looks like a slave. He laid down his life. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Put yourself in his sandals. Feel the shipwrecks, the lashings, the Roman dungeons. Feel the beatings and the betrayals from his own people. And then it says betrayers of the brethren in the church, betrayers. And then put yourself in those sandals as he's writing these words inspired by, Holy, by the Lord, Holy Scripture, Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? If you don't put yourself in his sandals, this is just poetry. It's like, oh, I had a bad day. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you've lost a loved one. That's terrible. I'm not belittling that. But compare that to what he's writing and what he's experienced and then say, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. That's his motivation. That's why he's doing what he's doing. He's not doing it to fill the building. He's not building church organizations Because the Lord doesn't care about our building. He does not care about our bureaucracy, doesn't care about our bylaws, doesn't care about what toys are in the children's ministry. He doesn't care about what worship is getting played. Well, he doesn't care about the sound or the quality. He cares about the doctrines because he cares about the sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep, for the believer, for the people. He cares about our souls. He cares about our eternity. He cares about us being in His presence for eternity. All those other things are important only in that they minister to the sheep, to the flock. You see, these super apostles, they're into building bigger barns. They're into getting more sheep into the pasture to feed themselves. They're fattening those sheep for the slaughter. They care nothing for the sheep. The shepherd lays down his life. You think about King David when he was a shepherd. What did he do? He took on a bear and a lion and killed them with his bare hands. Who does that? Because he cares about the sheep. Nobody was there. No one was watching him. Nobody saw him do it. But David, you know, you look a little, you look a little wide around the edges. What happened? Well, you know, I had a big meal while I was out there. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, here, I kept his skull. Because he cares about his sheep. He didn't run. He could have just ran away. Oh, man, a bear came and ate the sheep. Oh, that's terrible. But he cares too much for them to just run at the sight of trouble, the first sign of trouble. Don't worry, it happens to all of us. Not me, but everyone else. I'm just kidding. Verses 28 through 29, though, Paul is saving the best for last. He's saving the best for last, the most important for last. Verse 28. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? And do do I not burn with indignation? Can you sense it from the scripture how he is burning with indignation? That means anger. Like a, like a righteous anger. His deep concern for all the churches. Those other things, he went through them, 
But his deep concern for the churches is every single day he's alive, that's what he cares about, the sheep. Wearsby says this even more clearer in case you don't believe me. The key to this long section is which I could be, which could be paraphrased. Yes, I have been through many trials, but the greatest trial of all, the heaviest burden of all, is my concern for the churches. The word translated care means pressure, stress, anxiety. The other experiences were external, without, and occasional, but the burden of the churches was internal and constant. How do we know that this is more important to the Lord than building organizations? How, how do we know that the Lord isn't interested in just getting as many people in here as possible? Well, for one, we can look at religious organizations around the world. You can go to the Vatican. That's a, the largest land-holding organization on the planet is the Vatican. But if they're teaching false doctrine, it doesn't matter. All right, if that's a little touchy subject, let's go to Minneapolis, where the largest mosque in the northern hemisphere is built. It is an amazing organization, religious, many people coming, but they're not following after Christ. And that's why I can say clearly that the Lord is not interested in just building buildings and organizations. He's interested in the, in the heart. What, what is another illustration that I give? When Peter fell, and after the resurrection, and Jesus called him to himself, they were there, they were eating that fish on the, on the side, and Peter jumped into the water. That conversation, what did Jesus tell Peter to do? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. That is the priority. And so I'm like Paul. When I see brothers and sisters who claim to be followers of Christ, they jump on the back of the motorcycle. They're going to whatever the biggest, loudest, fanciest thing they can find, something that makes them feel good and be a part of something, to be a part of a great group. And you know that they're not following after the Lord. They're not seeking after Christ. They're not dying to themselves. You get, you get a little indignation. And, but it's also a check for those of us here that are called to be servants of Christ. If you're called to be a pastor teacher or an elder, if you're called to be a leader, are you dying to yourself to feed Christ's sheep? Or are you just after the accolades? Do you just want to be called pastor, elder, teacher? you want people to notice you and applause you when things are when you're going through a hard time? Not the true shepherd, not the Lord, not Paul. Paul would say to live is Christ and to die is gain. He would say that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To make yourself low. As John the Baptist said, we said it earlier, he must increase and I must decrease. And so at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the Lord returns and he brings us home, I tell you who will be closest to him. The ones that will be closest to him are the ones that none of us have ever heard of. That the Lord called them to minister to two or three people in the deepest woods to be faithful there. And no one's ever heard their name. But they were following the Lord and protecting his sheep. And I'll be in the back and I'll be waving. Oh, gosh, great job. 
I'll be in the nosebleed section. Knowing that those that are following after the calling of Christ, what has Christ called you to do? Where has he called you? Where has he placed you? And then die to yourself and follow after him. If you are a believer, you're just growing in the Lord, you're just seeking after these things, you don't really know what I'm talking about, find pastors and teachers that have this heart, this heart to protect you, to lead you, to encourage you, and most importantly, to feed you the bread of life, the Word of God, and are bringing the Word of God to those conversations. Because there are those you may think are in it for that, but they're just in it for themselves. Paul's going to finish off here in verses 30 through 33, and he's going to say, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was led down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. How much lower can you get than that? You talk about accolades. I hid in a basket and ran away because they were trying to kill me. And again, why is he going through all this? Like, he might have been questioning himself when he's in that basket. Oh, I hope this rope doesn't break. Lord, why am I here? I could have been in Caesarea. They got great golf there. No, he's a follower of Christ. And he was doing it to feed the sheep because of his deep concern for all the churches. Remember how this chapter started. He wants to present them as the bride to the groom, Jesus Christ. And that should be all of our goal. Paul's not in it for himself. Those that they were following were. Are you willing to make yourself low? Are you willing to make yourself last? Are you willing to lay down your expectations and your wants and your needs to bless others? Because that's what Jesus did. Next week, Paul's going to talk about himself and what he was going through. This chapter, he's just merely talking about the things that have happened to him and what's going on and confronting them. But he's going to talk about his personal trials and his personal difficulties in the next chapter. All of this is to impress upon the Corinthians the importance of seeking after the Lord and not yourself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. Pray that you would continue to guide and direct us to use us, Lord. That we would be followers of you. Not just being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Not just being ch uh, chasing things for our feelings. But going after the real truths a deep relationship with you. We pray that you would continue to feed us in your word, continue to teach us and direct us, and use us in the world to teach the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you need prayer coming up, we'd love to pray with you. Don't forget, teenagers have a um, youth camp meeting in the back after service. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday night. God bless and have a wonderful week.